0: We launch another edition of the Rural Radio Network's Midday Program here on your uh, rural radio station. And uh, if you haven't noticed, yeah, it's cold. We're going to check in here with uh, a lot of people don't know your middle name, Susan. (laughs) Susan Nanook Littlefield is uh, getting ready to, to don some special equipment before you get ready to do your TV shot, huh?
1: I think I should. It's a little chilly here today. I have a Nanook hat, and I think I might have to, to pull it out. It's never cold enough here in Nebraska to wear it, but I think today might might fit the bill.
0: Spoken like a true Minnesotan.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. it uh. was. Uh, a friend sent me a screenshot. It was minus 27, and the wind chill was minus 46 near home.
2: Ow. Ouch. People make fun of the Nanook hat until they need it and then they wear it, and they love it for life.
1: Oh, yeah. You will never make fun of it after you wear it. Exactly.
0: Okay. All right. Well, uh, if you can catch your breath there, uh, Nanook, tell us what's going on at 1245. You got an interview with Howard Buffett, did you not?
1: Yeah, Howard Buffett. Everybody knows him um, probably is a son, the oldest child of of Warren Buffett. But Mm -hmm. what a lot of folks might not know is he's a farmer, and he is also a sheriff out of Illinois. But his farming has... Him two ranches, um, two excuse me, two ranches in Arizona, one ranch in Texas, and he spoke at our Farm Broadcasters Convention. And he talks about life on the border and how interest, interesting it is. He talks about the H two A program and things that they see on a daily basis in the ranch. So that's coming up at twelve forty five. Chris Scheffner will join us. So it's growing rural America. He is a part. He's with CoBank, part of the Farm Credit Service. System and he's going to talk to us about work that the Farm Credit Services of America and CoBank is doing to help revitalize rural America. And then we continue our countdown of 2017 with another great uh, story from Bryce Duskett.
0: All right, very good. Well, uh, Susan, uh, best of luck uh, securing the Nano cat in whatever uh, suddenly wind there might be that we see. And don't forget the mucklucks.
1: Oh, hey, I'm Mucklucks. That's what I
0: forgot. I'll work on it. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, Susan. Yep. Brandon Bennett says, our sports today. And what's what's this about, uh, well, I, we know Kansas State had that big win, but you also big have win. information about always read your invitation.
2: You always want to read your invitation very carefully. Ernie Els, the famed golfer, uh-huh. received an invitation to play at Augusta for the Masters. So he was all excited until he read the fine print. He's being invited as an honorary member to play at the Masters, which basically means he'll tee off, he'll wave, and he'll go back to the clubhouse. He was not being invited to be a part of the actual field. He was invited as an honorary golfer, but he got so excited when the invitation came, only to his much disappointment.
0: Ah, shucks. Well, tell us about that Kansas State win. Anyway.
2: Lots of running. If you liked big plays, you'd have loved that game. And if you're a Wildcat fan, you're really going to love it. Two hundred, excuse me, three hundred and forty-four yards rushing, including for Alex Den, who came in off the bench, helped them score twenty-eight unanswered points in the second half, and. K State inns with a five an eight and five record. So yeah. well done, Wildcats!
0: Very nice, done. Uh, well done, Mr. Snyder. Well, let's uh, move on over to Bob Rogan with business.
3: U.S. stocks edging higher today. U.S. pending home sales are up slightly. Tesla says it's going to make a pickup someday. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know what exactly that's going to look like, but
0: it'll be interesting. Semis pickups. Who knows where it all ends? This is where it begins for today's edition of Midday. Paul Perkins is in with our ag weather, and it's brought to you by Holbridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Well, you called it, and we sure did get cold last yeah, night. Yeah,
3: a lot of places, I think, but actually probably got a lot colder than a lot of people thought last night. We had those clearing skies really kick in, and temperatures were already well below zero into the early evening hours last night.
0: So that was record set last night, right?
3: Yes, uh, Grant. And the places that do take care of or take, keep track of the records officially. Grand Island and Hastings broke their old records. Grand Island broke a record that was set back in 1904, 113 years old on their record. They shattered it. Their old record was 8 below. Their morning low was 17 below. Hastings shattered their old record low of 5 below. That was set back in the early 20s, and they got down to 15 below. So i like some earth... record shattering temperatures last night all
0: right so with some a uh, little help of a little bit of southerly flow and some uh, blanketing cloud cover it might not be so bad tonight huh?
3: yes uh, we will see a little bit of clearing and yeah those south winds are going to be the key thing for tonight uh, some double digit lows below zero in many locations last night it did get down to 21 below at alliance for the state low shattering got down to 20 below carney and broken bow both getting down to 19 below We mentioned Grand Island getting down to 17 below. It also hit 17 below in Aurora, York, and Lincoln, and Hastings and Nord, both getting down to 15 below. Those temperatures today not expected to improve a whole lot in the central and east part of Nebraska and Kansas. Despite some south winds kicking in on the backside of high pressure sliding to the east, we will see uh, the potential for some record cold highs today in portions of central Nebraska after the record breaking cold from last night. It will be warmer across the west and southwest today thanks to being closer to a warm front. And those milder conditions across the west and southwest look to continue on into Friday. Tomorrow we will see one of our warmer days of the next seven days will be in advance of another cold front. That cold front bringing us another blast of very cold air for Friday on into the New Year's Day weekend. Also some chances of snow with this system. Looks like our best chance with that system on Saturday night. But warmer air starts to move in from the west by Tuesday. The long-term forecast shows that continuation of warming temperatures, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas expected to start the new year and early next week colder than normal. But by the middle of next week through January 9th, temperatures expected to be back to seasonal or near normal. Early January highs in central Nebraska are usually in the upper 30s with average overnight lows in the mid-teens in early January. Our precipitation forecast expects below-normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas early on next week, but a system moving across the southern part of the country could lead to above-normal precipitation the middle of our next week through January 9. Weather factors in the markets that they are considering include scattered rain that will continue in Argentina and more favorable conditions across Brazil. Another blast of dangerously cold air will arrive across the Plains and Midwest late in the week, and encompass most areas east of the Rockies. Sub-zero cold will commonly occur into early next week from the northern half of the Plains into the northeast. Human winter ag areas in the deep south of Texas will need to be monitored for the possibility of a freeze early next week. Bridged weather could also adversely affect drought-stressed winter wheat on the southern plains. Areas of concern do include unprotected winter wheat in southern Nebraska and north-central Kansas, In the Midwest, winter wheat does not appear, though, to be in line for any cold weather damage. The extreme cold will increase the livestock stress in the northern plains through the weekend. Snow may occur, but right now it doesn't look to be a major event. In central Argentina, scattered thunderstorms will alternate with periods of heat this next week. Any crop stress from that heat should be offset by any rain. Central Brazil's crop weather continues to be favorable with rainy periods and seasonal temperatures. Crop conditions in southern Brazil much better after some rain this past weekend, and there's another chance for beneficial rain Sunday into Monday.
0: Ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your rinky dealer, and we want to remind you once again that if you got a brand new smartphone, maybe it's the first smartphone you've ever had. Here's a great way that you can kind of christen it.
3: Make it the first app that you put on there.
0: KRVN app is one <laughs> you need and it is of course powered by Harker Road Motors. Our friends at Harker Road are behind that and they tell you that uh, when you put on that app you get your KRVN on demand on air now, which means you can listen to real time broadcasts of markets and local sports, the national, regional, area news. It's all In one place, and it's all right in your pocket. The KRVN app for iPhone and Android, wherever you get free apps powered by Harker Road Motors. When you need weather anytime,
3: check it out at KRVN.com.
4: opens door to sorghum oil as biofuel feedstock. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. Sorghum may see another renewable fuel standard boost from a newly proposed pathway for sorghum oil extracted from ethanol plants. According to a new rule by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, on December 19th, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt signed a proposed rule to allow sorghum oil to qualify as a biofuel feedstock for advanced biofuels and biomass-based diesel. The EPA proposal came about as a result of a petition filed by the National Sorghum Producers In the proposal, the agency estimates about 30% of grain sorghum grown or 120 million bushels a year is used to produce ethanol. In recent years, more than 5.2 billion bushels of corn has been used annually to produce ethanol. Distiller sorghum oil is still a relatively niche product and the NSP petition anticipates a potential of 12 million to 21 million ethanol equivalent gallons of fuel to be produced from the oil per year, EPA said in its proposal. EPA said... It is anticipating sorghum oil producers will attempt to sell reduced oil distillers to poultry, swine, and dairy cow producers as these markets allow them to obtain a higher value for their product. And federal authorities have filed a lawsuit against a Georgia farmer because they allege the farmer's massive metal crop irrigation rig is causing radio interference. An ABC News report says the irrigation unit is on a farm in South Georgia where the Federal Aviation Administration has a radio tower that relays signals to keep aircraft on course. The lawsuit alleges that radio interference from the 1,200-foot structure caused the FAA to shut down the transmitter in February, which affected operations at nine different airports. The government's complaint alleges that the transmitter is in close proximity to Robbins Air Force Base, making the situation even more serious. The lawsuit warns that flight integrity has been compromised. The government isn't accusing the irrigation unit of actually transmitting a signal, but instead is degrading the FAA radio signal. Three men were identified as landowners and are listed as defendants. They couldn't immediately be reached for comment, and the U.S. Attorney's Office is seeking an immediate court injunction and an order telling the farmers to move the unit. And the new tax reform package offers a number of important changes for those in Agriculture and Nebraska. Farm Bureau has been involved in making sure farmers and ranchers benefit from Congress's First major tax reform package in more than 30 years. It is truly a win for Nebraska farm and ranch families, Steve Nelson, president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau, said when President Trump signed the bill on December 22nd. Nebraska Farm Bureau staff Jay Rempy, senior economist and Jordan Dukes, director of national affairs, conducted an analysis of the tax reform package and provides 10 important things farmers and ranchers should know about the new tax package. It's important to keep in mind the Nebraska Farm Bureau has made every effort to ensure the accuracy of the information provided. As with anything, farmers and ranchers should consult their tax professionals in order to fully examine how the new changes affect their individual operations. The top three things on the list include, number one, lower rates for pass-through businesses, individuals, and corporations. Two, the ability to make capital investments has improved. And three, farmers and ranchers can still fully deduct their property taxes. Again, the rest of that list and detailed information on each benefit can be found at RuralRadio.com. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news here on a Wednesday. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
5: Making rural America grow. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Annual Convention, I sat down and talked to the folks at Farm Credit Services of America about the importance of infrastructure and what it means to making that growth happen. Here's the interview. Chris Schaffner joins us now. He's a Senior Vice President of Water and Community Facility Banking with CoBank. And let's talk about your guys' involvement in infrastructure, because if you live in rural America, you know there's some issues.
6: That's right. So, you know, I think it's, uh, it's a universal truth now. We all seem to understand that rural infrastructure is in decline. Uh, when we look at infrastructure, you know, traditionally that's that's been, you know, a, a, a term that's been really just assigned to transportation infrastructure, right? So highways and bridges, and, and that's understandably been an important conversation in rural America because we've got 75% of the entire country's transportation, bridges and highways are in rural America. Uh, what we're wanting to do and happy to see happening you know, across the, the industries uh, that we serve is that that conversation is broadening. So it's starting to include water infrastructure. We understand that that's a vital component. Um, expanding broadband and then delivering reliable power to these rural economies. You know, We take a much broader view of rural infrastructure and sadly as I mentioned earlier, each of those sub segments is in Decline and needs a lot of attention. Um, you know. We know now, thanks to you know a variety of reports, that uh, by 2025, that need in rural rural America to fix the infrastructure is going to be north of five and a half trillion dollars, uh, which is going to do nothing but just drive, hopefully, drive innovation in terms of how do we finance this need, uh, and then how do we continue to raise awareness that you know for economies to be strong, these rural economies to be strong, they've got to have the infrastructure, particularly we talk about broadband, to, to incentivize young families, the next generation of folks to come back, new businesses to grow. So this is. Uh, uh, our, We have uh, not just because of our mission, but you know, because of the work we do in all these industries, we are razor focused on, on finding solutions here.
5: And for you guys, having a good, strong rural infrastructure means the ability for expansion. Maybe if it's that farming operation, a child coming back home, which means they're going to need money to continue to fund what they love to do, and that's agriculture.
6: That's exactly right. You know. <laughs> Broadband, it, it continues to drive so many of these conversations. And I think, you know, while there's not, you know, a silver bullet in how to make these economies thrive, I think we understand that technology and the advancements in technology are changing the way everything happens. You know, how we educate our kids, um, how we deliver health care, how we engage with the government and access knowledge. I mean, ac- high-speed, access to high-speed internet, um, again, also incentivizing folks to move there and make decisions to grow their businesses, as you mentioned, you know, that's critical. And so that's, that's one piece in particular that we're very interested in seeing how these are financed. You know, short of a government incentive or federal or state government incentive to kind of get companies to deliver this because it's pretty expensive, right? The low density areas, it's hard to do. Um, and, you know, that conversation is not dissimilar from the one we had uh, at the turn of the last century to deliver power, electric power out to those folks, you know? Uh, so, you know, I think this, what we are seeing is electric cooperatives uh, and telecommunication cooperatives starting to kind of dive into what could be good solutions to kind of piggyback on the infrastructure they have, and their customer base is asking for it. So uh, we're still even we're we're very optimistic we're going to get there.
5: We all know that one can't grow without the other. So it's just one of those things we need to get done.
6: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The will is there, and I think that Farm Credit certainly is hearing this and you know serving our customers uh, with and championing that cause is also very important to us.
5: That's my conversation with Chris Scheffner, Senior Vice President of Water and Community Facility Banking with CoBank. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
0: It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports
2: with Brandon. Good afternoon, Dirk. The Kansas State football team rushed for a team bowl record 344 yards last night including a K-State individual bowl game-high 158 rushing yards from backup quarterback Alex Delton and used 28 unanswered second-half points to rush past UCLA for a Cactus Bowl victory late last night at the Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. Delton came off the bench and took his very first touch all the way to the house, 68 yards for a touchdown, the first of three rushing scores and four total scores he had for the Wildcats. That was good enough for Delton to be named Offensive MVP. Coach Snyder had this to say to his team in the locker room after the game.
7: I appreciate not just the win, I appreciate the way you won it. I appreciate the way you prepared yourself to win it. I greatly appreciate how you handled yourself. You represented your family, your university, your teammates, the Wildcat Nation, the fans that were here, the coaches, the support staff. You represented everybody to the best. That anybody could do it.
2: With this win over UCLA, K-State closes its season with an 8-5 and record, marking the sixth time in the last seven years the Wildcats have tallied at least eight wins and the 16th time in head coach Bill Snyder's 26 years leading the Wildcats. Illinois has fired its offensive coordinator, Garrick McGee, and defensive backs coach, Paul Williams. On the offensive side, McGee was brought in shortly after Lovey Smith was hired as head coach. He spent two seasons with the program, but has never been able to establish a formidable offense. In the 2016 campaign, the team averaged just 19.7 points and 315 yards per game, finishing 2-10 overall and 0-9 in the Big Ten. Illinois started three different quarterbacks who combined for only eight passing touchdowns and 19 interceptions. The team ended the season last in the conference with just 21 total offensive touchdowns. On the defensive side of the ball, Williams not only was a defensive backs coach, but also defensive coordinator with Smith for two years. The Illini gave up 20 passing touchdowns during the 2017 season, second most in the Big Ten. Houston Astros star Jose Altuve has been named the AP Male Athlete of the Year after leading the Astros to their first-ever World Series title. Altuve and the Astros beat the Los Angeles Dodgers in November, and Altuve picked up the franchise's first MVP trophy in more than two decades, just a couple of weeks later. And Ernie L. says he received an invitation to Augusta National for the first week in April. Unfortunately, it wasn't the invitation he thought it was because it wasn't, to play in the masters Els had to clarify a tweet from sunday that said thank you for a great christmas present at the masters can't wait however the 48 year old south african had received a letter welcoming him as an honorary invitee augusta national has the tradition of inviting past major champions as honorary guests for the week that's a look at sport. stay tuned more of midday is straight ahead you're listening to the rule radio network
8: Today, cloudy with a high near 13. Wind chill values between negative 3 and negative 8. South winds around 15 with gusts to as high as 25. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 4. Wind chill values between negative 2 and negative 8. Southeast winds 5 to 10, becoming north after midnight. In the News Center, I'm Christian Schwartz. The flu season marches on with questions about the effectiveness of the flu vaccine. The H3N2 flu has been lurking this year. And there are some indications the vaccine may not be as effective against that strain. Dr. Mark Rupp with the University of Nebraska Medical Center is optimistic. The
7: H3N2 type of flu tends to be more severe anyway, and there's some indications that the vaccine may not be as effective against that strain. Uh, right now, it's too early in the season to really say whether the vaccine strain matches with the circulating community strain. The initial information seems like it's a pretty favorable match, but it's still pretty early to say.
8: Health officials say the flu shot is still the best protection against influenza. Officials say the bone-numbing temperatures have wreaked havoc with aging water lines across Omaha. Metropolitan Utilities District spokeswoman, Tracy Christensen, said five lines broke Tuesday, three were reported Sunday, one on Monday. One water main break normally affects 30 households and takes up to four hours to repair. Christensen says some of the cast iron mains are nearly 100 years old and can shift and fracture when the weather is dry and cold. The district averages 450 water main breaks a year, but the number is around 520 as 2017 nears its end this weekend. A 3 judge federal appeals court panel won't revive a lawsuit filed against the Nebraska State Patrol leader fired earlier this year. Todd Steckelberg of Omaha had appealed dismissal of his lawsuit against Brad Rice, whom Governor Pete Ricketts fired amid allegations that patrol leaders mishandled internal investigations. Steckelberg was a trooper for more than 25 years before retiring last year. His lawsuit alleged Rice created a hostile work environment and passed over Steckelberg for promotions. The federal judge who dismissed the case said Steckelberg's allegations weren't supported by the facts. The 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals panel said in a decision issued Tuesday that further discussion of the case would have no presidential value. Steckelberg's lawyer says another appeal is likely. Video images of a three-year-old Wichita boy being severely abused months before his body was found encased in concrete in the home where he lived with his mother and her boyfriend were described in court documents backing up the mother's and boyfriends' arrests. The Wichita Eagle reports the images appear to show the abuse occurred while Evan Brewer's father was frantically trying to get authorities to intervene. Miranda Miller and Stephen Bodine are charged with the murder and the death of Miller's son, Evan Brewer. The toddler's fraternal grandfather is former Wichita Mayor Carl Brewer. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Christian Schwartz.
5: The new sheriff of Macon County, Illinois, understands agriculture firsthand, and it's because of a farming operation he has on the border in Arizona. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Being described as the wealthiest sheriff in America, Howard Buffett, the son of Warren Buffett, is the new sheriff in Macon County, Illinois. He spoke to farm broadcasters about what he sees in agriculture, and then gave a firsthand explanation of what he sees on the border.
9: A little study once, uh, and we found that all 50 states, including Hawaii and Alaska, to be honest with you, are using uh, illegal immigrants for agricultural production. OK? Um, and so what we've learned, well, so I back up, we, we bought our farm in Arizona for two reasons. One was to move all of our research activity out of South Africa back to the US. And the big joke was, uh, Doug, who runs that, you know Doug, uh, I kept trying, he kind of fell in love with South Africa. I said, well, yeah, but if you're in Arizona, you know, you're back in the United States, I mean, think how great that'll be. So, I get him moved to Arizona, and the first thing he says to me when I see him is he says, you realize you can't even get Saturday delivery Federal Express here in Wilcox, Arizona. <laughs> and his implication was South Africa wasn't so bad, you know, but anyway, so, but we also bought it because I wanted to actually go through the H2A program. And my gosh, that is a disaster. And so, um, we went through that for several years and, and that's another story. But on the border, we have two ranches on the border and a farm in Te- that are in Arizona and a farm in Texas on the real, Rio- three quarters of a mile Rio Grande River frontage. Um, and we pump out of that river for irrigation. Um, so we have people coming across those pieces of land on a regular basis if you took those three pieces of land there's probably not a single day somebody isn't crossing one of them okay
5: and buffett says that they've seen increased activity along the border
9: really made me aware of the fact that if you look at the kind of corruption along our border on both sides and the threat that it that it really gives long term to this society in terms of the opioid crisis and and the violence that goes with it in our cities, it's everywhere across this country. There's not if you think you're living somewhere where this is not happening, you're wrong. And it's different than people. It's different than how I grew up thinking about it. Okay, it's not you know some you know homeless person in a you know burned out building living on an old mattress that you know uh, is shooting up heroin. I mean, we've I have met four or five people in my community in decatur illinois uh that are the parents are attorneys or um they're human resource officers at large companies i mean they're they are they're they're your neighbors and the way this is developed is really a scandal because um how it it, it got started in terms of prescription drugs and how that expanded but the drug cartels have seized on this, and they are bringing in more and more drugs every year, and they're getting more clever about how they do it. Um, if we, you know, are able to put pressure on them on on the physical border, they'll find other ways to bring it across. But it, it's a fight, and it's a fight we have to care about because if I if I'm China or Russia, I, I you know, I'm not going to come invade you. What am I going to do? I'm going to figure out a way to erode your society from the inside out. Drugs are going to do it.
5: And some of that increased activity he's been talking about has included visits from unwelcome guests at the ranch.
9: We've had some visits from the cartel. Um, One of them made me pretty nervous. Uh, Really? What was the nature of that? Well, they show up in an all blacked-out vehicle, sit outside your driveway, and I just happened to have six guys with me. We were all armed, and I think they probably... You can't tell what they're doing. My guess is they are looking at us, checking us out, and they decide to turn around and leave. But... um, we're a little different because they know we're associated with the sheriff's office. Um, and they know that my guys that are down there are former law enforcement. Believe me, they know who's there. And it's not unusual. This has not happened to us, but it does happen to other people we know. You know, it's not unusual. If, if one of my guys was sitting having coffee in the cafe in Bisbee, you know, somebody comes up and sits down and says, hey, Max, how are you today? And you're looking at this guy going, I don't know this guy. Max. How are the kids? They still going over to the mm-hmm. elementary school on Ninth mm-hmm. and Wilson, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, Why still shopping at Kroger's or Safeway or you know whatever it is? And you're sitting there going, "What the heck?" And you know, then this guy starts kind of talking to you. You know, maybe you can help us out. Mm-hmm. And anybody who thinks that that's not true is leaving. They just they don't understand it. We had a on our camp. We have quite a elaborate camera system set up, and if you were to look at some of what we have, I'll just put it this way. There are people, probably some of them U.S. citizens, that come from the north to recover some of the drugs that get dropped when the smugglers run. I mean, it's a whole other world down there.
5: Those are comments shared with Howard Buffett, who's a farmer and a sheriff as well, as he spoke with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting members in Kansas City, Missouri, just last month. By the way, Buffett has been a farmer for most of his adult life. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
7: Back on the Rural Radio Network, as it looked like a selling opportunity for some traders today in cattle futures as well as the hogs. Let's talk more about this with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities.
10: Yeah, we've got kind mixed in the uh, cattle a little bit higher in the nearby uh, December, but lower uh, uh, february april and june and then back higher again in uh, the august october uh, tried to uh, rally again today uh, i think we we're missing uh, a few of the funds that uh, appeared to have jumped in yesterday uh still the same type of uh, scenario uh, cold weather uh uh apparently uh, a big concern along with uh snow and uh really didn't develop the cutouts at noon were mixed the choice up just a little bit and the select down just a little bit so no help there and uh, then we ended up getting some profit taking and I think uh, we began some hedging uh, show up in the uh, uh, February uh, through June contracts so that put a little pressure on over in the feeders they uh, were uh, similar uh, a little bit higher in the front end and a little lower in the back end uh, chopped around a lot during the day, uh, in the feeders, and like I say, finished mixed there. Over in the hogs, uh, got some pressure on the hogs. Uh, uh cash seemed to be uh, steady a little bit firmer, but, uh, I think some concern grew, uh, uh, the cutouts, uh, up just, well, I'll just call them unchanged basically at noon. Gave no support there, and uh, uh, considering the, uh, well, well premium to the index, I think it was more or less a profit. Uh,
7: Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities,
11: Stewie Nelson reporting. Good afternoon to you on the World Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Today we continue our countdown to the new year with the biggest agriculture stories from year 2017. Today, dicamba drifting. Dicamba has been around for about a half a century. It's a corn herbicide, but soybeans have been modified to tolerate it. This was done because so many weeds have now modified themselves to be resistant to being killed with glyphosate, commonly known as Roundup. The story begins in 2013 when Monsanto asked the EPA to approve Extendamax with Vapor Grip. A new version of dicamba, it says, is less likely to vaporize and migrate onto neighboring crops. In 2015, the USDA approved Monsanto's dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybean seed lines branded Extend. Fast forward to 16, where the EPA did approve Monsanto's new herbicide Extendamax with vapor grip. Now in 2017, it started in April with a warning from University of Illinois Extension weed scientist Aaron Hager. He stressed that there are many things listed on the dicamba label that will legally bind farmers planting dicamba and spraying resistant varieties.
12: We'll give one example if we're looking at Stenimax label, which is a straight dicamba formulation from Monsanto. If there's a requirement to have a buffer area, a downwind buffer area, the, the size of that buffer area would vary depending on the rate that's applied. So an in-crop application of up to a half a pound of dicamba acid would require a 110-foot buffer. However, if we're using dicamba now in this pre plant or this pre-emergence time frame, if we're allowed to go up to a full pound of dicamba at that application, well, if we do that, now that buffer goes to 220 feet.
11: This is not a recommendation. It's a restriction. And there's a big difference, says Aaron Hager, and farmers planted to use dicamba on dicamba-resistant soybean fields
12: this season must understand the consequences. These statements on these labels are not recommendations. These are things that must be followed every time these applications are made. So, for example, if you elect not to follow something like the nozzle selection type or the height of the boom above the crop canopy, you are now violating this federal law, this federal label. As the growing season progressed?
4: Reports of injuries from dicamba are popping up across Nebraska.
11: Nebraska among many states that saw dicamba drift damage. Missouri and Arkansas temporarily banned the use of dicamba. Amit Jala, Nebraska Extension weed management specialist, talks about the damage people were seeing.
10: Yeah, we are seeing all the... Injuries uh, in uh, non-dicamba tolerant soybeans, specifically in roundup ready soybean, because soybean in general, if it is not tolerant to dicamba, then they are very sensitive to dicamba type herbicide. Um, even a lower dose or lower amount of dicamba can also cause uh, serious damage uh, to those non-dicamba tolerant soybeans. So we are seeing a lot of uh, leaf cupping is a very common symptom that you will see.
11: As the 2017 growing season came to a conclusion, dicamba is now a restricted-use pesticide. That's thanks to guidelines recently by the Environmental Protection Agency. The guidelines were reached through a deal between the Trump administration and the three companies that make dicamba, including Monsanto, BASF, and DuPont. All of the changes will be on product labels headed into the 2018 growing season. For a variety of reasons, calculating the yield loss because of dicamba drift was challenging this past year. But one thing is for certain, Dicamba made plenty of headlines over the growing season, which is why it is in the top five of the biggest stories in agriculture of 2017. Keep your radio dial tuned in right here on the World Radio Network as we continue our countdown this week. Reporting, I'm Bryce Duskit. Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.
7: We're going to talk with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Zag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. Now we saw spring wheat today actually lead the way higher in the wheat uh, market. Is that good? Is that um, negligible? What's what's going on here?
13: Well, it's what we saw when we saw wheat rally last spring, and if you guys recall, there were two kind of major rallies we saw in a, in a wheat market that's been. Depressing as ever. There were two rallies last uh, spring and then the summers, if you recall, and both of those led by the spring wheat markets, um, dryness up in the northern part of the, of the U.S. plains, and I think that, that continues to be the case here. We're, you know, not seeing any big changes weather-wise from how we ended the crop year. Uh, moisture has been there, but a little more sporadic, more north you go. So the two major wheat growing regions, whether North Dakota and, uh, and Kansas, are both finding themselves in a little bit of a drought here, and I think, uh, even though it doesn't really matter, I think for the spring wheat markets, that high protein uh, you know, supply that is really more the U.S. bread and butter right now, I think is maybe become a little more in demand as we've seen some of these other markets rally. Wheat, wheat, in my opinion, has probably the most upside of any of the markets uh, on a relative basis, due, just due to the fact that there's so many things that can change and the global supply can become really tight really quick.
7: When wheat gets support from commercial buying, what does that mean?
13: Well. In, in a market like this, I think you're seeing the, the global market be supportive. And, and the thing about the U.S. right now is we're price takers, we're not price makers. Uh, you know, this is a different market than it was in the '80s when the U.S. was driving supply. Uh, we're you know 10% of the export market right now, but half of our product stays in house, and the rest of it needs to be moved globally. And when the global markets rally, that makes the U.S. look better. And I think we've seen that a little bit here. South America prices have gone up. Uh, Australian prices—they're in kind of the I'd say the throes of their harvest as well, and a lot of folks looking for kind of a post-harvest rally. Uh, you'd be looking at the Australian markets coming off a very difficult season relative to the past few. So while, you know, I think corn and beans certainly are on the forefront of all the farmers' minds, especially in the areas you have, just to see wheat prices rally and, and the, the global feed markets rally, I think that, that'll put a floor in under the markets as far as corn goes. And which, you know, we know soybeans will, will move with that as well.
7: Yes, and soybeans, of course, had a little bit strong start today, but uh, the, I think the charts point to a little lower uh, market for a while.
13: Yeah, beans were, I think, the disappointing here. We're just seeing, I think, kind of a resetting of the deck at the end of the year. Corn, I think, closed on the, maybe a monthly high. I think we're near the highs we saw in December, and uh, beans, you know, kind of counter that closer to the lows for December. I expect the market to become more... Mm-hmm. I think independent of each other as we get this the... we being published.
7: John Payne.